I acknowledge that the land I work, live, and play on is the unceded territory of the Coast Salish peoples, including the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. Welcome to Van X Van, episode 65. I'm your host, Doug Vanderlei, and I'm joined today by lead singer and guitarist of Alberta punk rock band, Fire Next Time, Mr. James Renton. How's it going, James? Very well. How are you? I'm well, thanks. So, awesome. um, thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, of course. So tell us about Fire Next Time, how the band got started, and what you're all about. Um, well, Fire Next Time was uh, originally like a solo project that I had started, Um probably in 2008 or maybe 2007. It's funny because it was like a side solo project to a band that we didn't even really have. Like I was like playing in like a hardcore band and then doing like acoustic shows, but the hardcore band like rarely did anything. So it was just like me and my acoustic guitar. Um, And then uh, the hardcore band that I was in, uh, we decided that we were going to move from small town Alberta we're originally I'm originally from Fort McMurray Alberta we decided that we were going to move to uh, Edmonton to start a band and it ended up just being me and Ryan the, the guitar player from Fire Next Time so we just the two of us moved down and then we're like okay we gotta like start a new band meanwhile I was still playing acoustic shows and stuff like that I actually ended up doing a a wedding where the people asked me to write a song for them so I wrote the song and then me and Mick recorded it for them so that they could have it. And then he was like, you know what? Like this should be the band. So we got some dudes together and started jamming. And, you know, a couple months later we were recording demos and we were, we were off. Awesome. Well, I've read that people have a hard time pinning down the genre of the band. Um, uh, yeah. Why, why do you think that is? I think because of the acoustic guitar and the, um, you know, a lot of the acoustic instruments and stuff like that, and maybe maybe the lyrical content as well, uh, with, you, you know, um, it's we we've been described as like sad bastard songs about getting shit faced. So I think like, you know, Towns Van Zant was doing that for years and years and years uh lots of other bands were doing it with just acoustic guitars but i don't think a lot of people were doing it like in like a punk rock fashion you know against me wasn't huge yet um they were just kind of like starting to make waves they were doing it already um bands like goo goo dolls were already doing it but uh they weren't really recognized for that which is strange so i don't know we it was hard for people to kind of like put us together with things at first. We were getting lots of rockabilly shows, uh, but the rockabilly rockabilly kids and the bands all hated us because we didn't, you know, have pompadour hair cuts and dice tattoos or whatever. And then we would do lots of like, you know, more country music type stuff. But those guys all hated us too because we were too aggressive. And you know, and at the time, like. Even a lot of uh, a lot of punk rockers uh, weren't really into us either because you know we were doing what we were doing was so different than what they were doing. It, it was kind of like you know punk rock was just kind of getting out of that whole uh, 
you know, everyone was a sellout and, and all this kind of bullshit. So for a bunch of dudes to come in with, you know, plaid shirts and acoustic guitars when a lot of people weren't doing that yet, we were kind of seen as outsiders within our own scene, which was kind of tough at first. But, you know, we stuck it through and we were able to, to uh, be accepted by most people, I think. I see. I always thought that the uh, the whole point of punk was being outside of a scene. One hundred percent. But once you get pretty comfortable with what your scene is, I think a lot of people aren't all that you know stoked or excited for things to change. Like look at bands like you know Against Me. Uh, they were a bunch of anarcho punks who you know started. You know they they were so like ingrained in this one scene and when they did something a little bit different you know kids were like you know threatening to kick the shit out of them and stuff like that and there's there's a hundred examples like that of you know bands changing or new bands coming in and you know the old stock being like no fuck this like we fought for this we own it you can't change it that kind of that kind of idea i think is probably still alive and well within most music scenes but i I remember seeing a lot of it back then. Yeah, I guess it's kind of like uh, be whoever you want to be, but as long as it's not like that. Exactly, yeah. Well, I, I really enjoyed listening to your LP Knives while uh, researching this episode. Oh, thank you. Um, what can you tell us about the production of the album? Uh, well, that was we actually recorded it in Vancouver. Um, we've done all of our records with uh, Jesse Gander. Uh, all the way back from when he was at the Hive to, you know, Rain City when it was uh, in like the Mount Pleasant area. And again, now, you know, Rain City at its current location, which I believe is, I think you guys call it East Village. It's like East Hastings, but not. Yeah. 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 Um, so we've done all our records that uh, with him. So that was our first time within this new studio. And uh, it was cool. We had a very going back to like the album before cold hands um with cold hands and with knives we had a very cognate idea of what we were trying to do it wasn't like we just wrote 10 songs now it's time to record them and put them out like we were very aware that we were gonna make like a pretty straightforward punk rock record in our eyes anyway we decided that we were going to take things out. We weren't going to do banjo. We were going to cut piano way down. Uh, it was just going to be loud and aggressive. And Jesse was very, uh, you know, aware of that, of what we were trying to do. We worked so well together. And he's like, you know, for lack of a better word, he's like a genius at stuff like that. He would hate me for saying that, but, but you know, it's just kind of the truth. And I'm sure you know who Jesse Gander is, you know, like DBS and all that stuff. He's like... I'm actually not that uh, ingrained in the scene. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, it, well, he's like a really well-known uh, punk rock musician from like the early to mid-90s who went on and started like uh, recording lots of bands like Bison BC, um, you know, the Pack AD, uh, a lot of other bands, Hot Hot Heat, when they were first making it really big. Japan droids. He's done all these like amazing white long. He's done these, these amazing records. Um, so that's just a little background on him. Um, so yeah, we just kind of went in and knew exactly what we were going to do. This was the shortest time or maybe not the shortest, but it was one of the shorter times we've spent in the studio. Uh, we were able to just kind of bang them out. 
Um, I actually ended up missing a lot of the um, the production of it. Sadly, uh, a friend of ours had passed away while I was in Vancouver recording, so I ended up flying back to Fort McMurray for the funeral, and then uh, coming coming back while they were like doing um, gang vocals and stuff like that and background vocals. Uh, it was pretty funny because I left the album I had recorded; all my parts were done. Um, and this was the first time I was ever going to leave a record before it was finished. And I came back and those dudes had just like, you know, put all the meat onto like this skeleton of a record that we had made. And it was really uh, incredible for me to see, you know, because like when you're the lead singer and you're the main songwriter, you kind of see yourself as like a, as a leader, as lame as that sounds. And I did and see myself like that. And then I saw that these dudes were, you know, making this amazing thing um, when I, I had very little say in it at that point, which was uh, really eye-opening and, and very, very cool on my end. Was it hard to step away from that production process? It was super hard. I was, uh, you know, I was, I was dealing with, uh, with things emotionally and uh, financially, you know, I, I, it's not cheap to, you know, fly out on a dime when you're, You've got literally thousands of dollars invested into this <clears throat> this uh, art making uh, endeavor. So I was, you know, I was really like, I don't, I don't know if I can, I can do this. I don't know if I can uh, leave. You know, is the record going to suffer? Am I going to be letting people down if I don't go? Um, I had I, a very good friend of the band's. Uh, his name is Stephen Sheps. Was able to uh, get me a cheap plane ticket to take some of the financial burden off of me. And, uh, you know, I went and I'm happy I did. I hope to God, I never have to do something like that again, but, uh, those guys are more than capable and they did a fantastic job while, while I was away. So, you know, maybe, maybe all the worry was for not. Well, the album sounds great anyway. Thank you. Thank you. So I, I, I believe you answered this a little bit, but how has your process changed between uh, your first album, I believe, Hungry River Hymns, uh, your second Cold Hands, and then and then this one? Um, the songwriting has always been, for the most part, this isn't one. This isn't one hundred percent of the time, but mostly, I will write like the skeleton of a song, the chords and the lyrics, and then you know, we get together and everyone puts in their little, uh, you know, their nuances, you know, their specialties and stuff like that. Like I wouldn't be able to write like a guitar riff to save my life. So like stuff on that, it falls with, uh, with Mick. When we were recording or sorry, when we were, like I said before, when we were writing those early records, it was just like, we have 10 songs, let's record them, put them out. Now we felt like we had a little bit more of a responsibility. Uh, we were assigned to a label we had to make sure that these records were literally the best thing that we could do at the time with the tools uh, given to us. Um, we brought on, we had a couple of new members for this recording. Uh, Nick Coromenos was on bass. He's a longtime friend of ours and played in a lot of uh, punk rock bands. And uh, Garrett Kruger uh, was on for drums for the first time. He's, you know, got some... Uh, some clout for playing in a really popular bank from Edmonton called the Wolf Note uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, so we brought them in and it was, those dudes are so like projected into what they want to 
put onto the record that they added so much more to the writing uh, process than I was used to. Uh, but it was really refreshing to have uh, another two group of dudes that were, you know, not just, hey, play this chord, hey, play this chord. They were like, hey, I ha we have this idea, uh, you know, as the rhythm section, we have this understanding of how this record should flow. And it was so amazing. And I'm so indebted to those dudes for, you know, bringing that to the table for, for this record. I was told that once, Frost Cricket was a humble prefect of the Celestial City. But when Wanderlust whispered her name, she left to travel the Earth on foot. Her journeys inspired many stories, and those stories inspired other stories. Some idiot wrote them all down, and ever since, fools have been telling and retelling the tales of Frost Cricket. Hear them all on the Cave Goblin Network. So the, the previous albums were a lot more DIY? Big time, yeah. They were... Uh, you know, we were, we had never done it before. We, we didn't know, you know how much money to spend. We didn't know how to press a record. We didn't know anything about vinyl. We didn't know who to send it to. Uh, so they were 100% DIY. It was when we uh, signed to Stomp Records uh, after, after Hungry River Hymns. We actually had an album before called Wild Rose Sorrow, which was like pretty much just like acoustic-y. But, you know, it got some... Uh, some recognition exclaimed called us one of the most exciting uh bands of the year that year was that 2009 or 10 i can't really remember it feels like ages ago uh but, it's a casual decade or so yeah it was a long time so yeah there was it was way more diy and like i said we we didn't know how to like how to build a record we only knew how to write songs and record them you know, it's it's crazy to think now how I was okay with just writing ten songs and being like, okay, that's done. Like we're done the record. Um, now I have more of an understanding about like, you know, the entity that a record can be. So like, just to put it into uh, ways of understanding, when if you were to hit a if you were to put on your favorite record and you were to put it on shuffle instead of the way that it's supposed to be, it kind of like it takes away from the record. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, because to a lot of people probably don't know that, but a lot of thought goes into, you know, what song is going to come after what, keys and all that stuff. So that's more of the things. I feel like I'm on a rant now, but that's like, like that's the, the whole point. That, yeah, that's more of the things <laughs> that I'm more more aware of now. Uh, and I feel like maybe that's not when I was more DIY, when I was just like a, you know, a drunk uh kid who just wanted to play guitar and scream at people and now i as like you know and i feel i'm going to use the word adult even though that's probably not right I, I don't feel like i was an adult then and i certainly don't feel like i was an adult now either but maybe musically i've matured so musically i'm an adult i understand things like that which may not be considered diy anymore if that makes sense or at least to me i feel like i don't it doesn't have that same DIY attitude. Yeah, I feel like a, I feel like a scientist, you know, <laughs> or something like that. I'm like putting way too much thought into something, like obsessing over it. Oh, it's probably a good thing. What What was the uh, What's the main thing you would uh, impart on your past self making that first album with what you know now? Um, probably to, you know, try a little harder and not. Uh, 
<laughs> not just like think that if you drank your ass off and listened to Tom Waits that you were inspired and <laughs> could and could do this. I've definitely had that feeling before listening of to course. Tom Waits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I I don't I don't know. It's funny when I like as a thirty I'm thirty seven this year. So as like a thir- as a twenty five year old, you know, person or earlier, I guess like, you know, I've been playing advanced since I was 14, but uh, I think about so many years where I thought that I was like, you know, I thought I was like really, uh, really doing something outside of the box, you know, like I'm a, I'm a punk rock dude. And I play an acoustic guitar and I'm listening to Towns Van Zant and Tom Waits and John Prine and stuff like that. You know, I'm doing, I'm doing something way different than these other dummies are doing, which is, was total bullshit. <laughs> so I would I would think I would go back to myself back then and be like, hey dude, like fucking relax for a minute. I, the, I, I wonder if you need some of that uh some of that attitude even to Oh inspire you to is, to strive in the first place, right? Punk, punk rock is, you know, it's so much of it is attitude. Yeah. You know, like you, there's something to be said for you know, the snotty 25 year old who was not able to get over his teenage angst, which, you know, I I think is important for sure. So when I say that I would go back and tell that to myself now, that's only me being reflective of like how embarrassed I would be of that kid right now if he was standing right next to me. Yeah, I think I'd be embarrassed meeting myself from even one year ago. Yeah, I, yeah, I can hear that 100% too. So what's next for Fire Next Time? So Fire Next Time is very much taking uh, some downtime right now. We uh, haven't played a show in quite a few months now. Uh, we're currently not writing. Um, we have one show booked in September of 2020. It's a, uh, a festival that we're doing with uh, the Mad Caddies, um, Choke, uh, Cancer Bats, and a few others. It's uh, it's one of these things that are getting really popular now where um, bands are getting together and doing like a, a you know an, an album in its entirety from, from way back. So uh, I, I think Choke is doing Nevertheless. Uh, I don't think Mad Caddies are doing it. I think they're just playing a normal set. Uh, there's, um, you know, Bat Sabbath is that, that's Cancer Bat's like Black Sabbath cover band. They're doing that. Right. Stuff like that. That's in September of 2020. It's in Edmonton. And that's really all we got going right now, just because we toured almost nonstop, like six, sometimes seven months out of the year for over a decade. Jeez. Um, yeah, we would stop to write records, and, that, and so like when we weren't doing that, when we weren't, you know, on tour, we were writing or you know playing shows in in Edmonton. So the last year or so, we've kind of taken a step back, and we're just working on ourselves personally. I'm recently uh, got engaged. Uh, well, I've been engaged for about a year, and I'm getting married this year. Oh, congratulations. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Nick is, uh, you know, taking some time to run a coffee shop and, and stuff like that. We're, we're just kind of 
um, looking at new avenues of, of life, of, of, of things that we might have like taken for granted. You know, like I, I went on last year, I went on my first vacation ever of my adult life. Everything had always been tour. I've been all over the world, but I've seen nothing. Like I, I've seen the inside of a van. I've seen, you know, clubs and maybe like the block around the clubs while I'm like looking for a subway or something like that. So I'm just kind of like, I think we all are just kind of, uh, just kind of enjoying um, life right now, like the other aspects of it. Well, that's good to hear. I mean, you, you hear about people just grinding and grinding until they grind themselves into dust. So. Totally. And, you know, we were, we were exhausted. We, like, we had done it for, for so long. Like, like the band's not broken up. We're not, we're not finished. We're, we're just kind of like weighing our options. Um, another weird thing with the band too, is that I, in, in July, I will be two years sober from, from alcohol. Oh, congrats Um, on that too. Thank you. Um, and it's kind of, Fire Next Time is kind of a weird, uh, part of me that, um, you know, those songs are, are about personal struggles and stuff that I had with addiction and, my inability to cope emotionally with things that were going on around me. And I'm, I'm just not that person anymore. And it's, it's hard to, you know, put, put that dude's clothes on all the time. You know, like I, I feel like I'm totally a different person. I feel like I'm a better person. Um, I'm not trying to make this like a PSA about soberness because, you know, everyone makes their own choices and, and all that. And people deal with things differently, but when I say like, you know, getting on stage and singing songs about being drunk or being on cocaine or, you know, combination of the two or throwing another thing like that, it, it feels uh, in gen- like, like I'm not being uh, genuine about things. And I don't also want to be up to, I don't want to do like an Eric Clapton thing where, you know, he wrote the song about how great cocaine was and then you know, 20 years later, he says, this is actually a cautionary tale. That's bullshit. It's, yeah. Yeah. It's just a, it's a stupid cop out. And I'm per, I'm currently trying to like find a way that I can continue being creative and, you know, driving this vehicle of, uh, you know, self-destruction, which is what it was when I'm not that person anymore. Well, Thanks so much for coming and talking to me today, James. Yeah, I had a really good time. Thank you. Is there anything you'd like to plug on the way out? Um, I don't know. I'm currently working uh, with some people on some new things. Uh, I don't have a whole lot of uh, information on any of it yet. Uh, when I took alcohol out of the equation, I had to find something to... Um, spend my money and my time on and i got really into uh dungeons and dragons oh nice yeah which is something that we always played on tour um when we like had downtime and like hotels and stuff like that but i recently got really into it and i would like to explore that with music and do something fun and very led zeppelin of you yes (laughs) Without, you know, all the terrible things that Led Zeppelin did. Yeah. But, uh, um, so I'm, I'm lo- maybe look for something like that in the future. I don't have any info, but 
that was that's something I would love to love to tackle in the future. Well, um, without just getting too much into cross promotion, you can check out another show on the network, DMs of Vancouver, where a couple of guys talk about yeah the challenges of being a dungeon master, and they interview dungeon masters from all around the world. Heck yeah. Thanks for listening to Van X Van. You can find me on Twitter at Dirk Vandelay and the show at Van X Vancast. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podchaser or iTunes. It's the best way for us to grow at no cost to you. We're also on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cavegoblins. I'm Doug Vandelay. See you next time. This is a Cave Goblin podcast. For other podcasts like this, visit cavegoblins.com. We hope you have enjoyed this program.